The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available pro-access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. And available Pro Power Onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hungary's blood countess, Elizabeth Bathory, listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the most prolific serial killer of all time. But did she really do it? And was her behavior really that out of the ordinary for the insanely bloody time in which she lived? We dig into the blood, the gore, treachery, turmoil, the oppression, the constant warfare that defined 16th century Hungary. We examine the myths and possible facts of a woman who may have been one of the most sadistic monsters of all time. Get ready to get dirty. Get ready to get down with another medieval edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Merry Monday, everybody. Hail Nimrod. The sucketh hath returneth. I'm Dan Cummins, and this is that mix of trivia and fun, that cult of the curious, known as Time Suck. Another bunch of great iTunes reviews this past week, you guys. Thanks for taking the time to do that so other people can read them uh, and be convinced to start sucking themselves. A lot of people have asked, like, why why iTunes? Only because that's where most people listen. I have no uh, Apple loyalty. That's just where the suck can spreadeth the mosteth. Uh, iTunes reviewer uh, Smoothie Sucker left a review titled uh, Taysay Dong that said, I just listened to your episode of North Korea and couldn't stop laughing every time you said, taste some dong. Was that intentional? Anyway, keep doing what you do, Master Mother Sucker. Uh, no, Smoothie Sucker, it was not intentional. Uh, I, was do- I was giving my best attempt at, at doing a-, a North Korean name some justice, and I clearly failed. Uh, I meant to say Tase Dong, or Tase Dong, not Taysom Dong, which would be a very unfortunate proper pronunciation of one's name if your name truly was pronounced as Taysom Dong. 
Taste it. Put it in your mouth. Uh, glad I can provide both intentional uh, and some unintentional comedy on the suck. Uh, I appreciate all the new subscriptions very much and the purchasing of some uh, Time Suck t-shirts this past week. Makes me feel so good just to know you guys care enough to wear some suck. Uh, I wear it as well. I, I feel too weird wearing the original logo, first generation t-shirt, uh, only because it has a caricature of my face and my name on it. And that just seems uh, strange to me to wear a t-shirt with your own picture on it. Uh, I do wear it around the house. You know, those Bella Tri-Blends really are so goddamn comfortable. My own shirt's turning me into a t-shirt snob. Uh, I don't wear the uh, black second-generation flat tee uh, either in public. Uh, I, I've worn it a few times. But I don't do it often because, again, it makes me feel weird because it has my name on it. I feel weird wearing a T-shirt with my, no- with my own name on it. But I do wear my Bojangles Yamo Time Suck tee out and about. And uh, the other day it was so cool. Some teenager, uh, he kept looking at my shirt, and he asked me where I got it. And uh, that felt awesome, man. Uh, he, thought I, he thought I had own, my own T-shirt design company. Uh, I've always loved a, a cool T-shirt. Uh, really have. And, uh, and I just got an, an order uh, in for some Time Suck hats, and I'm fucking pumped. Spent a lot of time. Uh, I didn't realize how long it would take. But <laughs> put a lot of time into uh, finalizing the design. And uh, holy shit, can't wait to wear one. Actually, my wife helped me, which sounds bad at first when you say that. Like, oh, my wife helped me make it. Well, she actually has a degree in fashion design. So it's ridiculous that I didn't consult her on earlier things, you know, because I'm very stubborn and I want to do things my way. But she she actually has a degree in fashion design and actually has worked in fashion design. And, uh, yeah, and I, you know, I brought her in. I was hesitant at first, but then she showed me some shit where I couldn't deny how fucking cool it was. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Got a couple options that'll be here this fall for some sweet-ass baseball hats. And uh, uh, appreciate all the topic suggestions sent into Bojangles at timesuckpodcast.com. The list is packed. So many good sucks. We are no uh, no danger of running dry. So thanks for continuing to send in just uh, killer new topics. Uh, a lot of stuff I'd never heard of before. And then when I look into it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. Uh, love how many of you are starting to follow the suck on social media, at timesuckpodcast on Instagram, Twitter, slash timesuckpodcast on Facebook. And today is the last day to vote uh, to determine the next Time Suck bonus episode. What it's going to be. Should it be Project MK Ultra, Secret CIA Experiments? Uh, should it be the Heaven's Gate cult? Or should it be the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski, former mafia hitman? Well, you get to decide, you know, whichever one gets more votes uh, on Time Sucks Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook before midnight tonight, midnight Pacific Daylight Time uh, is going to be the topic for the 800 iTunes review bonus suck coming up quick. And, uh, and a quick little shout out to a baby sucker, little two-year-old Joaquin, uh, Joaquin Presas, uh, who listens each week with his dad, Time Sucker Edmundo Presas. Uh, a few of you uh, have asked for toddler tees, and someday we'll get them in. Why not? Why not? Sounds fun. And a huge thank you uh, to Dana Van Outrive for kicking off the research on this episode. Newest member of the Bojangles research team. So nice to get a jump on the digging. I uh, so appreciate it. She did a great job. And Dana also just had surgery on her jaw. Liquid diet for the next few months. Uh, had ger- uh, surgery this past Friday, so some send some positive time suck thoughts her way. And, uh, and thanks to Nick Perry, Donovan Vokes, uh, Lexi uh, Echevarria, and uh, any other time suckers I may have missed um, when you requested today's topic. Hungry's Blood Countess for today's suck. And I'm going to suck old Liz so hard. So hard, you guys. Going to suck her right off right after I suck a few time sucker updates. Updates. Get your time sucker updates. Time sucker Lydia Turner Little wrote in uh, with a little uh, North Korea update commenting, Greetings, Sheriff Master President of the Suck. I really enjoyed the latest Time Suck episode and wanted to congratulate you on your lucrative baseball career. That's in reference to me hitting three home runs with my first swing of a baseball bat. Uh, at one point, you mentioned that only certain people 
were allowed to leave the country, and that got me thinking about North Korean athletes. I've wondered about the specifics, but your podcast finally inspired me to go do a little research of my own. Yeah, a little getting some sucking in on your, on your own time. Uh, so here's a little info that you and the other time suckers may enjoy. Even though North Korea is extremely secluded, they have competed in every Summer Olympics since 1972, other than two. Uh, they, they'd skip out on two of them. Uh, and they've won medals every time they have competed. North Koreans do get to watch the Olympics, but usually only clips of North Koreans competing. They're fucking insane over there. They won't even let them watch other countries. And it's not shown live. Of, of course not. they got to fucking filter out all the commercials so people don't know about, you know, fucking Dorito tacos and shit going on in other countries. Uh, athletes who win medals are rewarded uh, with better housing and living conditions, which may be why no North Korean athlete has ever defected that we know of while being out of the country. Probably because they'd also fucking kill their families if they did. <laughs> like, not, not, not joking. I have no, uh, I have not researched that specifically, but I am sure that if it's not said to them outright, like, if you defect, we will fucking kill your family, it's, it's you know, strongly hinted at. Or they'll be sent to a, you know, a labor camp, you know, where they'll die. Um, anyway, although uh, to get back to her email, although this may be because state officials come with athletes uh, to keep an eye on them. Athletes are still kept on a tight leash when they visit the outside world. And at the Rio Olympics, they weren't allowed to have the phones Samsung offered to all other athletes as part of their sponsorship. Of course they wouldn't, right? They could fucking hop on the internet and realize that their country's a fucking shithole. Uh, athletes who lose are reduced in rank... And I even saw articles about athletes and trainers who were reportedly sentenced to hard labor. In the 2010 World Cup, North Korea lost 7-0 uh, to Portugal, and, and the coaches were reportedly sent to, <laughs> to work in coal mines. That's not, that's not funny. But Jesus, you fucking win. You win. Win the championship, or you go, or you go to a coal mine. Uh, supposedly, the state officials who travel with athletes come up with reasons why their athletes lost, such as going to a nightclub the night before an event, and then when and then the athletes are punished for that when they return home. So, so everybody gets punished. Uh, hope you enjoyed this little mini suck, and keep on sucking, Lydia T. Thank you, Lydia. I, I did enjoy that. Uh, I, I forgot, or maybe I just never even realized that North Korea sent athletes to the Olympics. Uh, I doubt they knew, but they, they clearly don't have as much fun as other athletes. <laughs> that just is terrible. Like, best case... If you're a North Korean Olympic athlete and you get to go, you don't get to party. Uh, you don't get to talk to other athletes. You don't get any Olympic swag. You don't get any endorsements. Uh, you don't get to make any money off of the massive exposure you get. And, and that's if you win. That's if you, uh, like, if you win. Uh, and then you get to go home and have, like, a, a slightly less shitty apartment to live in in Pyongyang. <laughs> right? And if you lose, you go to the fucking coal mines, uh, you know, with your coach. Or you go to a uh, fucking labor camp. God. Fuck Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un real asshole. Kim Jong-un fucking believable prick. I'm proud to be an American, or at least I'm not in North Korea. Oh, God. Uh, next update, final, uh, is, is an interesting, uh, no, this is not the final one, the second one. Next update is an interesting Vlad Dracula update from a time sucker named Mark uh, regarding the wooden stake vampiric mythology that originated in Romania and around Romania. He writes, uh, I'm Serb. I was told my Serb grandfather, I was told by my Serb grandfather that the wooden stake myth comes from the Serb practice of staking someone suspected of becoming a vampire through the heart or midsection to pin them down to earth for eternity so they don't leave their coffin. Uh, it's a real practice and it comes from a scientific oddity that there is where there is a genetic disorder prevalent uh, in that region where some people do not get rigor mortis and are also prone to cadaveric spasms. Wow, that's odd. 
And now, and now we know. And that makes a little sense to me, actually, you know? You've been hearing about the Strigoi, demonic undead vampires your whole life, you know, growing up there. Old Romanian and gypsy kind of campfire tales, scary folklore, and now you're moving a dead body, and then it starts fucking moving around. Yeah, you're gonna freak out. Why, you know, why not grab a sharp stick, pin it to its coffin? I can see how that could start that way, that way. you know? Getting worked up on folklore, having a cadaver start twitching for any reason. That's a scary combination. So, uh, so thank you for sharing that interesting bit of random trivia, Mark. And finally... Time sucker Blake Price wrote in uh, with, Dear King of Master Suckers, I have messaged you before about my idea of topic Unit 731. However, today, I come bearing news I believe to be most crucial. I'm trying to catch up, and I'm currently listening to episode 40, Nostradamus' Prophecies, and I noticed that you said the newest time suck tea is made with 213% imported koala anus. I would like to bring to your attention that I, I that night up to 90% of koalas are infected with chlamydia, chlamydia. So you may want to let the general public know that, that you have treated the anus with antibiotics. Or, or was it the gerbil saliva that cleans the anus? Your run-of-the-mill suckling, Blake. Well, first off, Blake, Unit 731, definitely on the time suck list. Holy shit, that's, that's a dark topic. And that's going to be a dark, dark episode. And yes, yes, uh, well aware of the koala anus chlamydia epidemic. It's, uh, it's why I no longer import koala anuses from anywhere south of Sydney. I don't. I just won't do it anymore. For some reason, uh, koala anus chlamydia is fucking rampant south of Sydney in Australia. Like like 9 out of 10 koala anuses are infected with chlamydia. Doing a lot of butt play down there and just spreading a lot of shit around. <laughs> so that's why all of my koala anuses uh, uh, going forward are going to be imported from the uh, north of Sydney on the eastern seaboard. And Because uh, the, the gerbil anus, by the way... Uh, it does clean the anuses, the gerbil saliva. It does clean the uh, koala anuses, but it doesn't disinfect them. But I do spray uh, each and every one of my koala anuses with Lysol before weaving them into super soft shirts. And side note, weaving koala anus into fucking making it into a shirt, that is no easy sewing feat. <laughs> it certainly is not. I hope that clears everything up, Blake. And if you're a new listener and you are probably confused as shit right now, and you don't know what all this koala anus talk is about. You know what? Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. Enough nonsense. Time to get serious, kind of. Time to head to Hungary, definitely. And head on out for these Time Sucker updates. Thanks, Time Suckers. I needed that. We all did. Okay, before we get into what the Blood Countess did or did not do, let's dig into what her world was like. Gotta give some t- context for the Countess. And by the way, I'm gonna try and... Uh, you know, keep the same intensity uh, and passion, but slow down a little bit. I, I do listen to your feedback. I did get an email. Uh, sorry, I forget the time sucker who sent it in uh, about that. I just kind of rush through the information a lot of times, like, you know, at a speed <laughs> that makes it impossible to comprehend. And I think I just get so amped up. Uh, I've always talked fast when I get excited. So, you know, I'm going to work on not just fucking micro machine. That's an old reference. Uh, just speeding, speeding through it. So, okay, here we go. But if you, if you listen to the Vlad and Paler episode, uh, you've already got some context for this episode. Uh, very similar part of the world. Elizabeth lived uh, a little more than a century after Vlad the Impaler, and she lived in a very, uh, you know, s- a similar period of European, Eastern European history, and, and, and virtually the same place, Wallachia, and and where she kind of started off in Hungary, uh, you know, right next to Transylvania. It's all in the same little region. Uh, Elizabeth was born in 1860 in Hungary, uh, a nation that was perpetually at war, uh, especially with the Turks. 
Hungary is, is, is at this point, is still at war with the same Ottoman Empire that Vlad fought in Wallachia in the 15th century. And if you recall from that episode of Wallachia, where Vlad ruled as prince three separate times during his lifetime, was, along with Transylvania, the only buffer between the Hungarians and the Turks during Vlad's lifetime. And if you'll recall, uh, the Turks at this time, they wanted to push east uh, into Europe, you know, north and east, and absorb all of Europe into their empire, an empire under Islamic rule. The Ottoman Empire would rule over much of the Middle East and Eastern Europe all the way up until the early 20th century, actually. Uh, Europe and Bathory's time, uh, especially Eastern Europe, was fractured into various countries, empires, principalities, vassal states, you know, who largely belonged to one of two groups, uh, either the Washington Generals, led by No One Cares, or the Harlem Globetrotters, led by Curly Neal and Meadow Lark Lemon. Wait a minute. That makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Did I say generals and globetrotters? I meant Catholics and everyone else. Uh, there was the Vatican and its Holy Roman Empire, uh, you know, and, and, and other, you know, Christian Catholic nations. Uh, and then there was the formerly or, you know, previously powerful uh, Eastern Orthodox Church, which had recently lost considerable prestige after the sack of its former headquarters in Constantinople uh, when the Byzantine Empire, uh, Empire fell to the Turks in 1453. And again, that was in the Vlad episode. And now, after Martin Luther's Reformation in 1517, now there's Lutherans, there's a whole Protestant Reformation going on in Europe. There's Lutherans, Calvinists, uh, Anabaptists, you know, they're all in Bathory's Europe. Uh, there's a few uh, prophets of Nimrod here and there, you know, stomping puppies, uh, you know, quoting the book of Nimrod, just, and if thou Nimrod saith, that if thou hast hath, if not if, suffereneth, succotasheth, etteth, etc. Very hard to understand them. That's why it never caught on. Uh, and while the Turks wanted to take over Europe, the Christians, by and large, wanted just to be left to fuck alone by the Turks. Uh, at the time, the Christian nations weren't seriously interested in pushing back into Ottoman territory anymore. There were the Crusades, the big ones before, but those had ended as far as major Crusades go in the 13th century. In the 14th and 15th century, there would be like occasional kind of mini Crusades. But these various nations, they were just, uh, you know, there was too many different versions of Christianity now. There was too many conflicting kingdoms for them to truly, like, come together and, and make a uh, concentrated push back against the Turks. And at the end of the 15th century, Hungary was ruled by King uh, Matthias. Matthias Corvinus, uh, and again, you may remember him from the Vlad episode. He's the man who both captured Vlad the Impaler at one point and then also helped repel the Turks and install him as Prince of Wallachia for his third and final time in 1476 uh, after keeping him as a prisoner in his court for 12 years before that. And again, if you'll recall from that episode, the Hungarians would occasionally lend military support to the Wallachians and Transylvanians when it served their interests regarding keeping the Ottomans at bay. Because remember, again, there's this buffer between Hungary and uh, the Ottoman Empire, which was, you know, Wallachia and Transylvania. And under King, and, and a few other little, like, uh, you know, minor principalities and stuff that were mixed in there. And under King Matthias, the Hungarians didn't, uh, they did, uh, ugh. And under King Matthias, the Hungarians did have a strong military. And while they failed to answer the Vatican's occasional call for more crusades, they did fight the Turks quite a bit. And, and they also, you know, skirmishes, you know, in Wallachia and Transylvania and also in their own country. And they also fought the uh, Holy Roman Empire as well. So they're fighting the Turks alongside Vlad the Impaler in the 1470s. And then later after Vlad's death, they're fighting the Holy Roman Emperor, Emperor, uh, Emperor Frederick III, who was the last Holy Roman Emperor to be crowned in Rome to the West and Austria. Uh, and, and Hungary was uh, sandwiched between the Holy Roman Empire and the Ottoman Empire, the two biggest military powers in Europe in the 15th and 16th centuries, which means there was a whole lot of fucking fighting going on in Hungary. Uh, when King uh, Matthias dies in 1490, he's replaced by Vladislaus II, also known as uh, Vladislaus the Weenie, uh, by at least myself, because he was a total weenie. 
more on that in a bit. Uh, Vladislav was uh, very royally connected before taking the Hungarian throne. He was already king of Bohemia. And this is interesting, I feel like, about this uh, uh, you know, period in Europe. Back, back then, through various marriages and kind of political concessions, power was always shifting around in kind of strange ways. And, and, and dudes would hold multiple titles all the time. They would have, you know, uh, blood claims to various thrones simultaneously. And would get one, and then another king would die in, like, a neighboring kingdom that they also had a blood claim to. And sometimes they would also then incorporate that kingdom into their own, and they would be king of both places or merge the two into one. It was always, like, shifting around. Uh, very little consistency in Europe uh, at this time. And Vladislav, he was the son of Casimir IV, who was the king of Poland. He was uh, named king of Bohemia and uh, wanted to unify Bohemia with Poland in a fight against Hungary when it was ruled by King Matthias. After the death of Matthias, Vladislav also made a claim to the Hungarian throne because his mom was the sister of Vladislav, uh, the king of Hungary, uh, Hungary before Matthias. Vladislav, actually. Uh, just like the, in the Vlad the Impaler episode, it fucking very Games of Thronesy. Very, you know, Game of Thrones-type scenarios uh, going on in Europe at this time. Well, old Vladislaw, he was also a weenie, like I said, because uh, by all accounts, he was very easily bullied into relinqu relinquishing a lot of his power uh, and a lot of the power of the Hungarian throne to the Hungarian uh, nobility around him. He was kind of happy just to be checked out and be like, yeah, man, no, that's great. Bah, sounds good. Mm -hmm, no, that's okay. Yeah, we can do that. Sure. No, you want that castle? Ah, fine, I'm not, I'm not using it. Like, he was legendarily agreeable to basically anything they asked for. And early in his rule, he agreed uh, to kind of give away a lot of his estates and a lot of the estates of, you know, King Matthias to the nobility of Hungary. And he handed over control of the military as well, which was which is not a good move. Didn't work out well for anybody uh, here coming up soon. Because uh, now soon fortresses are falling into disrepair. Soldiers are no longer properly being equipped or trained. And shit is getting sloppy. Uh, the nobles, you know, they would rather spend their money partying, living lavish noble lifestyles than in, uh, you know, using it to keep a strong standing army fed and battle tested. And, uh, and this creates an interesting situation in Hungary uh, shortly before Elizabeth Bathory's birth that will affect uh, the context of her life greatly. Uh, in 1514, you know, by 1514, the Hungarian kingdom has fallen into general disarray under the leadership of uh, fucking Captain Weenie. And, uh, and then this guy, uh, George Doza, Hungarian nobleman for Trans from Transylvania, Transylvania currently existing as part of the Kingdom of Hungary, uh, ends up leading Hungarian peasants in a revolt against their totally checked out kind of nobility class. Uh, Doza, uh, he had been tasked by various members of the aristocracy, by various members of the nobility, uh, with organizing a group of peasants into an army, kind of like a ragtag army, to fight the Turks, to fight the Ottomans, who had been overrunning Wallachia for years, and now they're pushing up into the south of Hungary. And he does. He does. He does a good job. He organizes an army. He gets about forty thousand peasants, and uh, and he starts training them to fight and having them trained to fight. And then halfway through their military training, they start to get fucking pissed off about the whole situation. Just the peasants in general, and uh, they do something that has not historically worked out well for the poor and exploited people of the world throughout history. They think about sticking it to the man, and because uh, basically these people are already being taxed by the nobility. They're already, you know, farming to provide food for the kingdom, uh, to keep themselves alive. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're growing crops to, to sell, to raise money, to pay the taxes imposed upon them, you know, by the, uh, by the noble class. And, and generally at this time in feudal European history, you had this kind of agreement, you know, uh, whether it was formal or not, where it was basically understood that you as a peasant, you work the fields, you know, and, uh, and, and you, you know, you pay the nobles taxes on crops in exchange for protection 
That's what you're getting out of the deal. You know, you're giving, you're working your ass off, you're toiling away on land they own, you know, and then, but you get to live basically is the deal. You get to live, you know, you get to have enough of your crops to eat and you get protection. And that's the big thing. It's like, I'll pay your taxes by busting my ass farming, you know, your land, prince, whoever the fuck. But then when Sultan sacks the shit out of villages or Duke, you know, Johnny and Pale's kids for fun comes charging over that hill, I get to head on inside your fortress where your army better protect my ass and my family's asses. And not only did the aristocracy and the king uh, not have an army to protect anyone at this time, uh, if they did, they wouldn't have needed to round up 40,000 peasants. Uh, they also didn't even bother giving this new peasant militia proper weapons, didn't give them armor, didn't bother, you know, feeding them properly. It was basically like if some mafia goons demanded protection money from you uh, for your little business. And then all of a sudden, you need protection. Then, like, a, 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 some rival goons are fucking breaking up, busting up your place. You know, they're breaking your stuff. <laughs> and you call the big Sicilian dudes you've been paying for protection to come handle it. And they just come over and they just hand you a slingshot and some marbles. And they're like, hey, man, you fucking knock yourself out. You deal with it. It's like, what? The, that's what I was fucking paying you for all this time. So they're pissed. And instead of dying fighting a superior Turkish force for a bunch of assholes who had done nothing for them, the 40,000 peasants decided to attack the nobility themselves. You know, they started raiding towns, started looting churches. They go on a big killing spree, killing priests, killing nobles. Hundreds of manor houses and castles are burnt uh, to the ground. Thousands of the, <laughs> of the gentry of the noble class are killed by impalement, crucifixion. Other methods, you know, methods that have been done to these peasants, you know, for generations. Shit was out of control. They were partying like it was 1514. Uh, well, King Vladislaus, uh, he gets an idea, finally, and he thinks, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't, I don't like this. I don't, I do not like this. Look, I, I know I'm laid back and generally non-confrontational, but you guys need to cut this shit out. Seriously. Please stop. S please stop it with the impaling. And the burning of things, uh, not cool, you guys. And he issues a proclamation commanding the peasantry to return to their homes under the threat of death. And the peasantry responds by basically giving him the collective middle finger. It's like, what the fuck? Go fuck yourself. And now the uprising starts turning into a revolution. And, you know, drastic times call for drastic measures. So the king and the nobility, uh, they take what, you know, uh, money they have, and they start hiring mercenaries and soldiers of fortune from other nearby kingdoms, kingdoms like the Republic of Venice, Bohemia, Holy Roman Empire. And then the peasants counter uh, by creating Frankenstein and Iron Man and Wolverine and other cool fictional characters who names, whose names are fun to say and don't fit this narrative in any way, shape, or form. No, the peasants continue their revolt. They are drunk with power. Uh, Dorza and some peasant militia members uh, capture the city and fortress of uh, Sanad and signal victory by impaling the bishop. God, dude, dudes loved to impale people back then. It was such a thing, apparently, in medieval Europe. Why, why, was, why was it always impalement? You know? Let's, let's cut his head off! <laughs> yeah! Let's cut his fucking head off! Let's do that! Wait, no, wait, no, 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 wait. Let's not do that. Let us not, no, we're not doing, that's not enough. That is not enough. Hey, uh, so, uh, someone fetch me a, a long, sharp steak. Go get me a steak. I have, I have a better idea. Let's impale him. Let's impale him. Hear me out. You cut a man's head off, and other people think, well, you know, that doesn't seem so bad. You know, one second you have a head, and the next second you're dead. You know, quick, relatively painless. You know, you hang a man, and people think, well, you know, that seems fair. You know, one second you're standing around, and the next second you're hanging dead in midair. That's, that's clever. But you put a man on a stick and let him slowly bleed out. That's when people think, whoa, whoa, 
Let's not do anything that these guys don't want us to do anymore. They're they're not fucking around. That that looks horrible. No, no thanks. Uh uh-uh. uh. I'm gonna do what these guys want me to do, period. Well, uh, uh Doza and various bands of peasant raiders go on, capture a few more towns, a few more fortresses over the summer. But then the nobles finally get their shit together. They got this new paid, you know, army, and they organize a, a, a proper cavalry, and they crush the rebellion against numerous peasants. Uh, who still lack proper weapons or legitimate military expertise. I'm sure when they when they see a proper army for the first time, they have some thoughts of like, oh, so that's why we were supposed to get more training and, and armor to fight the Turks with. I, now, I get it. Now I get I'm going to die in a second, but I get it now. Well, uh, the nobles punish the peasants severely for this uprising. It's, uh, it's fucking spanking time now. And as punishment for the uprising, a decree is imposed on the common people of Hungary in 1514, this states that the peasantry would forever be chained to the land as lifelong slaves. All of their descendants would be enslaved as well. They would be forced to pay tithes, forbidden to ever own firearms, required to work 50 days of unpaid labor per year. They couldn't travel without permission anymore. They could be judged and even sentenced to death by their lords. And this decree would remain in place in Hungary for 350 years. It didn't get abolished until 1848. Check that shit out. Man. Oh, what a what a deal. I'm guessing the alternative to signing such a horrific deal was a, a slow and painful death. You know, if you're like, hey, come on, you got this deal is bullshit. I mean, yeah, we fucked up. I, yeah. But I cannot, in good conscience, sign something away that's gonna keep my descendants enslaved for hey, hey, Jimmy, hey J- Jim, why don't you go sharpen the stakes, buddy? We're gonna have to go with plan B, it looks like. You know, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, 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 Jimmy, it's cool. No, wait. On, on, on second thought, you know, on second thought. The whole agree to be slaves uh, forever and have no rights thing doesn't sound that bad. No, we're cool. Where's the, where was the quill? I'll sign. Uh, well, this deal is important to the story of Elizabeth Bathory. Uh, it's important to understand her story, to understand that she was born into a period of Hungary when peasants had zero, zero rights. Uh, they were worker bees, playthings, and cannon fodder for the nobles in the 16th century in Hungary. And then, uh, well, old uh, King Vladislav, uh, the weenie king, uh, who did end up, you know, squashing this rebellion. He dies in 1516, and not one peasant cries genuine tears. There's no uh, weeping like there was with Kim Jong-il. Uh, his son, King Louis II, takes over and tells his people, uh, ooh be doo I want to look like you, walk like you, talk like you, ooh-be-doo-be-doo. Uh, no, wait, that's a totally different King Louis. Uh, that's, that's the Jungle Book. Uh, King Louis II rules Hungary until 1526 when the Turks kill him in the Battle of Mohacs. The Battle of Mohacs was one of the biggest battles in Central European history. Uh, The short version is that the Turks fucked up shit for the Hungarians, like big time. Uh, The not quite a short version uh, is that not keeping a proper army in Hungary after the end of the rule of King Matthias really came back to bite the Hungarians in the ass. You know, numerous times, such as uh, when King Francis I, leader of France, betrayed the Holy Roman Empire and encouraged the Ottomans to ransack Hungary as a way to get closer to the Holy Roman Empire, uh, who they really wanted to stomp, and uh, who uh, King Francis I wanted to stomp. And why did he want to stomp uh, his former allies? Why did he want to side with the Turks and go against the uh, another Christian nation? Well, because he was defeated by the troops of King Charles V in a battle against the Holy Roman Emperor at Patvia, Italy, in 1525, and taken prisoner. And while in prison, he signed the Treaty of Madrid, where he agreed to end aggression towards Italy, relinquish uh, the Duchy of Burgundy and uh, Charlet, 
conceding that those large French territories to King Charles, he agreed to halt an offensive he was making into Italy and to pay for a good chunk of the war. And then he was released, which is probably, you know, pretty dumb of uh, King Charles V. He let him go, and he was fucking, he was pissed about it. He was, he was not, not happy about this, uh, about all the concessions he had to make and, and the punishments that were put upon him. And, uh, you know, and so he did the unthinkable in medieval Christian Europe, and he formed an alliance with the, with the evil Turks. He formed an alliance with the Turks against the Holy Roman Empire. And so the Turks decided to attack the Holy Roman Empire, uh, which rested between France and Hungary. And in order to get to the Holy Roman Empire to attack them, they needed to first take down Hungary. And so on August 29, 1526, the Turks sent roughly 100,000 well-armed troops armed with muskets, cannons, against 25 to 30,000 Hungarians who did not have muskets and cannons, not many. And the uh, Hungarians were defeated in just a few hours. They lost about half their men. Lost about 15,000, you know, men in in just a couple hours. And Hungary would never be the same again. For over 450 years after this particular battle, Hungary would be uh, continually occupied by somebody. Uh, The Turks would occupy them until uh, 1686, and then the Holy Roman Empire would occupy them until 1804, then the Austrian Empire until 1918, and then the Nazis until 1945, uh, and then Bojangles for a couple of confusing days. Uh, But the Ottomans didn't conquer all of Hungary. The Battle of uh, Mohacs drove Hungary into political chaos, and what it is, it split the country into three parts. Uh, made official after years of constant fighting in 1538 with the Treaty of Nadjavarad, uh, Hungary was divided into the northwestern part, termed as Royal Hungary, that was ruled by the Hasburgs, which were a very, very powerful European family, and at that point uh, were also ruling the Holy, Holy Roman Empire. Uh, then there was the Eastern Hungarian Kingdom part, which would eventually become the semi-autonomous principality uh, kind of vassal state of Transylvania, and, and the remaining central area, known as the Pashalik of Buda, which would be under Ottoman control outright. And, and, and Transylvania would be basically under Ottoman control as well. Uh, a lot of these little vassal states, they would just make deals where it's like, okay, you know, you can, you can uh, b- basically just don't fucking crush us and we'll give you money and we'll give you troops and stuff when you need them. Well, while the tre- treaty officially defeated the former kingdom of Hungary into three basic countries or split it up into three basic countries, the boundaries of these lands were constantly changing. You know, it's really hard to, like, when you're looking at maps, which I was doing for this one, looking at maps of, like, old Europe, I mean, like, the maps just changed by, like, the month almost. The boundaries of these just constantly in flux and constantly disputed. You know, it's like if one king drew up the map, it would look very different than if any other king drew up the map. Uh, You know, a village that technically lay within Ottoman territory might, in all actuality, be Hungarian in culture. That that stuff would happen as well. Might actually be governed by Hungarian royalty while the Ottomans, you know, are away fighting new battles. You know, it's very chaotic. And, and, you know, again, back then before, you know, there was phones and internet and everything and and cars and planes. It took a long time to get places. And so you might, you know, this area might be technically under your control, but you might go away for five years. And during those, you know, five years when you're away, somebody else might be ruling it and you have no idea. And there's uh, also constant battles going on between Holy, the Holy Roman Empire and the Turks, and, and that too will factor into Elizabeth's story. So this is the world that Elizabeth is born into. I just wanted to establish that it's a world of constant warfare and a, a world where the life of peasants is very, very, very cheap. And now that we have a little understanding about this world, let's dive into Elizabeth's story with the Time Suck timeline. And this week, a uh, little, little special Time Suck timeline, uh, the timeline intro and outro has been changed up uh, this week's Time Suck timeline uh, was that the music was written and performed by Time Sucker Russ Worstel. Uh, you can find him. You can say hi. Uh, tell him great job at at Russ Worst on Twitter. Let's get into it. Mm-hmm. 
Today's Time Suck Timeline is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. Best razors in the game. Truly another, you know, notch above other razors uh, when you use it with some Dr. Carver's shave butter as well, uh, which has changed the way I shave. I've always shaved in the shower, and I used to just kind of like lather up with some soap, but now that I'm used to lathering up with Dr. Carver's shave butter, uh, soap is bullshit. Ah, can't do soap anymore. Might as well, might as well lather up with some, with some butt crack sweat, you know? Might, might as well lather up with some, some cat pee or dog vomit. No, thank you. Uh, now I make the smarter choice, and I did make the smarter choice by switching to the Dollar Shave Club, where, where I now get four new cart blade cartridges every month sent directly to my door. Don't have to fucking go buy them anywhere. Get the weighty, solid executive blade handle, and I give myself the, sh- the smoothest shaves of my life. And, and for a limited time, new Dollar Shave Club members get their first month of the executive razor with a tube of Dr. Carver Shave Butter for only five bucks with free shipping. You hear that? Free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. That's a $15 value for five bucks. That's a good deal in case you don't know how deals work. Uh, in your first month's uh, box, you get an awesome weighty handle, a full cassette of four cartridges, those, you know, four different blade cartridges, and a tube of their, you know, of their shave butter. And after your first month, replacement cartridges ship automatically at their regular price, no hidden fees, and no commitments. You can cancel anytime you like, very easy. Uh, and you can only get this offer exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash time suck get the time suck deal dollarshaveclub.com slash time suck yeah go get smooth you time suckers go smooth up all right timeline time wasn't that a fun new uh, intro song uh i really liked it man i thought i thought he crushed that so good job russell uh 1560 elizabeth bathory born on august 7th 1560 according to legend she wasn't born in some you know from some earthly mother she was quite literally shit out by the devil himself clean clean didn't even have to wipe, not once, when he was done. Now, to be fair, that's a legend uh, only I have heard of since I made it up. She was born into royalty in uh, near Bator, a town in the craziest county name of probably any county in the world. It's fucking unbelievable. It's three in insanely intimidating Hungarian words all on their own. Each word would be intimidating by themselves. And they decided to combine like a law firm where everybody's name has to make the business. You know, it's like they decided whoever these three assholes were, they're like, no, all of our names become part of the county name. And that's just hyph- put hyphens between each one. It's, I think it's pronounced uh, Sabor Sapmar Bereg. I was on this some fucking crazy Hungarian pronunciation guide for way too long. But it's spelled like Shblak Shmashbrek. That's how it's spelled, basically. And it's in the northern uh, Great Plain region of eastern Hungary. Uh, and the town had essentially belonged to the Bathory family since the 13th century. And the town now, uh, after the Battle of Mohawk some 34 years earlier, is under Transylvanian control, kind of. Uh, remember, like I said earlier, Transylvania this time is a, is a semi-autonomous vassal state of the Ottoman Empire. Again, a, a vassal state being a, a nation subordinate to another nation. And this was talked, talked about a lot in the Vlad episode, you know, where the Turks just didn't have time to manage all their newly acquired territories. Sometimes just didn't have the interest... And it was just easier rather than just completely have to dominate some countries just to be like, all right, man, we're going to go do some other shit. We're cool with you as long as you let us come through your country anytime we want. You give us some soldiers every year and give us a tribute of some money too. And then we're just good. And then you you go be you. And uh, and I said this area was kind of under Transylvania control because in 1549, 11 years before Bathory's birth, the town was also claimed by King Ferdinand I as belonging to the Hasburgs. Uh, the family who ruled the Holy Roman Empire, as I said earlier. Uh, To add to the confusion in Hungary, after its fall to the Ottomans in 1527, the Hungarian nobility actually chose two separate kings uh, at the same time. 
in the chaos. There was uh, John Zapoya, uh, ally to the Ottomans, and then there was also Ferdinand I of the rival Habsburg dynasty. So, you know, in addition to the, they got the Holy Roman Empire on one side, they're fighting the fucking Turks in your land. You know, the Turks have just come over and kicked your ass. Now in, in the in the confusion after that, some little farther counties that weren't directly dominated initially by the Turks, some villages that didn't get part of the uh, initial attack, they're like, all right, we got to get a, a new king because our king just died in that battle. And in the, since they don't have fucking phones to coordinate shit, they accidentally uh, create two kings. And then neither one of those guys wants to step down. So now they're fighting. So just everybody's fighting, just constant fighting all around. Uh, yeah. And then, and the Hasburgs, again, as I said earlier, they, they ruled almost every country. They were such a powerful family. The Hasburgs in medieval Europe ended up at different points ruling basically every country in mainland Europe, every principality. It's insane. They, the Hasburgs made the Rockefellers look like, you know, just peasant dogs. And, uh, near Bator, at the time of Bathory's birth was caught in a tug of war between King Ferdinand and, uh, Zapoya's son, John Sigismund Zapoya. So the son of the previous second king. Very confusing. And, and if you're confused, so were the Hungarians. It was an extremely confusing time. I seriously doubt most of the peasants even knew who the fucking boss was at any given time. Like, wait, who, who's our king today? I thought that was, it was Ferdinand. No, it was Ferdinand last week. This week it's Sepoya. I thought the Turks ruled us. Kind of. But mostly the Transylvanians. What? Why? How are they in charge? Well, they're kind of in charge. But then there's this other guy, uh, Bob. Uh, Bob down the street. He, he won a bet last night. And he's technically in charge of your half of the farm today. Tomorrow, it's, uh, it's uh, Uncle Twinkie. Uncle Twinkie rules tomorrow. What? Yeah, very fucking insane. Um, okay, but, but Elizabeth is born into this insanity. She's, and she is born into at least uh, uh, royalty for having to uh, live in this insane period. She's born into one of the wealthiest families uh, in all of Hungary and, and in much of Europe. And uh, her mother's father had been the Prince of Transylvania, as had uh, her father's brother. Uh, in fact, her parents came from two branches of the same family. Uh, they're both, both of her parents were Bathory, come from the Bathory branch or Bathory family. Uh, her mother's brother, brother Stephen, uh, would go on to marry the elected queen of Poland, becoming one of, uh, the most famous Polish kings. So, you know, it's, it's, she grows up in a very powerful family and she was especially well-educated, even for nobility. Uh, she was very well-educated, especially for a, a noble woman, uh, suggesting she was highly intelligent. Uh, she trained in mathematics, writing, logic. She could read and write in Hungarian, Greek, Latin, German. Slovak. Uh, I am very impressed with that, uh, since I can barely, uh, speak, let alone write in one, in one language. And there's a good chance, uh, she saw a great deal of violence as a child. Uh, this is an age, you know, as we've already established when people are publicly impaled, they're tortured just all the time. Uh, there is one story, uh, that's even <laughs> exceptional in its cruelty, uh, about Bathory's childhood. It's, it's, it's a story floating around about how when she was six, she may have watched the brutal torture of a gypsy in her father's court. And, uh, which doesn't seem far-fetched to me because, you know, again, remember that peasants had no rights under current Hungarian law and, and gypsies were in low social standing at this time, even amongst peasants. They were like the lowest of the peasants and the peasants were at rock bottom. Uh, so who knows what this guy supposedly did or if the story is even true, but this guy is supposedly tortured, uh, this poor gypsy guy, this poor Roma guy. And then, uh, uh, a horse is cut open and he's sewn into the horse, like sewn into its abdomen with only his head left to stick out. I saw this illustration of it, of this supposed deed. It's fucking, ugh, just preposterous. And then he was just, uh, left, left there to rot. So like they didn't, they didn't kill him. They just beat him up real bad, stuffed him in a horse, sewed him. So only is like, kind of like a, like picture your head is peeking out of the sand on a beach, like one of those photos, but then replace the sand with the horse. 
holy shit. And I know it sounds ridiculous. I know it sounds so over the top. But after researching Vlad the Impaler's torture methods uh, and learning about how people were tortured on the regular in this area at this time uh, in very creative ways, not impossible for me to imagine this actually happening. And, and, and if it did happen, what does witnessing something like that do to your mind as a child? What does it do to your development? Ha, huh, I don't know. Okay, so 1571, uh, let's, let's skip up there. She was also like, you know, like most royals of her day, uh, uh, given to her husband at a very early age in an arranged marriage. And in 1571, uh, she is arranged to marry uh, Frank uh, Nadesti, uh, son of a wealthy Hungarian baron. Uh, and she's 11 at this time. There's also persistent rumors that she was a bit of a wild child. Uh, supposedly getting pregnant after the arrangement at the age of 13. Because th- th- when I say that they're like arranged to be married, they would do this all the time when like they'd be a little kid, you know, like you're 10, 11. You're like, all right, you're going to be marrying so-and-so, but you might not even see them for several years. Or you do, you do go see them, but it's not necessarily romantic for a while. There was those things too. You might be like, you know, when you're, when you're 15 or 16 or whatever, they kind of decide that's when you guys actually get, you know, married. Um, but yeah, rumors that she was a wild child, that she got uh, pregnant at the age of 13 with some local peasant boy's baby. Uh, other, there's other rumors that the, that the baby was, you know, uh, taken away and then the, and then the baby's father killed in a variety of ways, according to various rumors, you know, like fucking eaten by dogs, beat to death, that kind of stuff. Uh, 1572, a new king is crowned, uh, in the former kingdom of Hungary, still controlled by Hungarians. The Habsburg choice, Rudolf II is crowned king of both Hungary and Croatia. Uh, what's not rumored is that on May 8th, 1575, uh, she's married. Elizabeth is married. It's a huge affair. 4,500 invitations are sent out. Uh, interesting because her social standing is higher than that of her new husband. She does this thing where she doesn't change her last name. Uh, she remains the Bathory, which was not traditional. Uh, she moves to, uh, Sarvar in the West of Hungary, uh, an area under the control of the Holy Roman Empire, an area currently not controlled by the Turks at all as opposed to where she kind of was born, which was a a much more disputed piece of land. For her wedding gift, uh, her new husband gives her a castle, a chate castle, you know, no big whoop, just fucking castle for a wedding. What did you give your wife for your wedding? Oh, a photo album from Shutterfly? (laughs) That's that's cute. I love love how you poor people just like to make things. That's cute, making things. Uh, What did I give my wife? Uh, Yeah, castle. I gave her a castle. Just, you know, just giant hilltop Hungarian castle. Yeah, whatevs. You know, you just do what you do. Also, rumor has it that her wedding uh, was DJ'd by Michael motherfucking McDonald. How do you like that? You don't know me, but I'm your brother. I was raised here in this living hell. Just kidding. Hungry's great. Come on. You fucking, you know what I'm talking about. Come on. (laughs) You don't know my kind in your world. Fairly soon, the time will tell. Come on, everybody. Don't let Lizzie down on a big day. Get on the dance floor. Get on the dance floor. You, uh-oh, telling me things that you're gonna do for me. Mm, uh-oh, I am blind and I don't like what I think I see. Seriously, move your ass. Dance or be tortured and fucking killed. Come on. We're having a fun day here. Taking it to the streets. Taking it to the, taking it to the, you know, that kind of deal. You just got McDonald. It's been a while since you were that savage at McDonald, but you know, it's a savage episode. Savage episodes sometimes call for savage McDonalding. 1576, life gets a little more complicated for Hungarian nobles. Rudolf II, the new king, is also now named Holy Roman Emperor. Um, after this, Hungarian noble families like the Bathories owe loyalty to both the Hungarian crown and the Holy Roman Empire, which means double taxes. Yay! Yay! 
And, uh, and Hungarians were taking uh, other hits to their pocketbooks. In other European countries, the king would provide his nobles with military protection and support, as well as royal institutions you know, for the benefit of the people, like hospitals, universities, libraries, churches, etc. Uh, but this was not the case in Hungary. They were doing things in a lot of weird ways this time. Uh, noble families had to provide everything on their own with no help from the king. So just like earlier, we talked about the nobles doing that to the peasants. Now the king is doing that to the nobles. Like, no, no, I'm going to take your taxes and you're going to uh, do all the shit that I was supposed to do with those taxes. They had to fortify their own towns and estates. They had to raise their own armies, take care of peasants on their land, pay out of pocket for artillery, armed knights. Making things even worse was massive inflation going on this time where the price of grain rose 170%. The price of meat rose 110%. So public debt is rising. And now even noble families like Elizabeth's family, you know, while rich in assets such as land and castles and towns, were poor in hard currency like silver and gold. So, you know, good thing Frank uh, bought that, you know, bridal castle a few years earlier. Actually, actually, his mom bought it for him to give his new bride. You know, whatever. Mom, mom can get it. Anyway, uh, good thing they got it earlier. And if you heard that little uh, tinkling in the back, that's, that's, that's Penny. That's Penny Pooper, my dog, uh, who uh, has been in, uh, away for a few episodes, but now she's back. She's, she's back to help out. She likes in the middle of an episode to, uh, to jump up on me and, you know, test my focus. That's what she's doing now. 1578. 1578, three years after getting hitched, uh, Liz's new husband is named one of the chief commanders of Hungary's troops. And this is after uh, they spent, you know, the first few years of marriage apart when he was going to school in Vienna. And Frank does what Hungarian military commanders do, and he fights the Turks a lot. Uh, they don't have a kid for the first 10 years of their marriage because he's almost always away. He is constantly somewhere battling Turks. And Frank is apparently very good at fighting. This is a legendary Hungarian warrior. Uh, he was named the Black Bay, kind of loosely translated as the Black Knight by his enemies. And there are a ton of rumors about his sadism. Uh, rumors of him, <laughs> this is crazy, but this is what I found. Rumors of him dancing with the dead bodies of soldiers he's killed. Rumors of him playing kickball with the heads of Turks fallen in battle. Seriously. Uh, he was known to torture prisoners of war savagely, impaling them. Of course, of course he would impale them. That's just what they fucking did. Uh, and there's also rumors that uh, Frank is the one who taught Elizabeth how to torture, showing her, for example, a punishment method uh, to be used on idle servants, which would involve inserting pieces of paper soaked in oil between their toes and then lighting them on fire. And then just watching them kind of kick around, you know, and scream wildly as their toes are being burnt. But what's the lesson with that punishment? Uh, fucking work harder. Move your feet faster. Uh, supposedly, he once brought his wife back a gift from the battlefront, a claw-like contraption that could be placed over the hand to tear, stab, and cut victims, a gift she would then use on her servants. And again, these are just rumors. It's not like the guy, you know, uh, it's not like, you know, Frank had some dude following him around in battle, just taking notes. It'd be kind of darkly hilarious if he did. Just, um, Frank uh, just cut the head off of uh, Habib. Uh, he is now kicking it. He's now kicking Habib's head. Uh, uh, now, okay, now some of the other soldiers are joining in with the kicking. A, a makeshift goal has been set up. Uh, okay, Frank just scored a goal. Got to make a note of that. Frank just scored a, a goal. Uh, oh, he also kicked an ear uh, off of the ball. Okay, so now now they're dragging in a new prisoner so, th so they can have a backup ball. Uh, most of these stories, you know, were written by medieval historians, usually writing kind of years after the deaths of their subjects and, and basing their writing, you know, on rumors. That's kind of the best they could do. There are official court documents written during the life of Elizabeth uh, and Frank, uh, some letters. There's an entire book of letters Elizabeth uh, herself wrote, a lot of them to her husband, compiled in a book called The Private Letters of Countess Elizabeth Bathory. That's the uh, Hungarian pronunciation, as best as I can do, uh, written by Kimberly Kraft. But it's not letters about murders or motives, unfortunately. It's actually just kind of boring letters about day-to-day -day duties. 
you know, in the author's own words about this book, although some readers might be hoping for a salacious diary or tell-all journal entry penned by the Countess, we must remember that this current in vogue style of the tell-all sensationalist or sensationalism is a very modern and unique trend. In Countess Bathory's day, it was considered improper, indulgent, and even decadent, especially for members of the upper class to engage in an extensive self-examination of feelings or even what we might consider modern psychoanalysis. Also, uh, also, Kimberly notes, in Lady Bathory's time, mental illness and criminal behavior could still be considered demon-influenced, and church officials routinely presided at criminal trials searching for heretics and the demon-possessed. If someone suffered from depression, anxiety, or evil thoughts, he or she was likely uh, to confess it to a priest rather than pen it in a diary where it could be used against them in court. In addition, Countess Bathory had a very reserved and businesslike public persona. So here's an example of one of these letters, just to hear, you know, her words, you know, as she wrote them. This was written to a lesser nobleman tasked with distributing food in her kingdom, uh, who delivered some food to her uh, a bit late. Uh, His excuse being that he'd been busy distributing other food rations to local peasants uh, who were starving, you know, or something minor. Uh, (laughs) We have received your letter together with our food. Our thanks for the bustard, which is a game bird. We will maintain it in expectancy of my husband, but you should know, your grace, that these provisions should have been sent to us last week. Therefore, for next Saturday, send to us all that you are accustomed to send, and even the provisions for the week to come, or you will see our anger, for we expect guests, and also my husband will return home. For tomorrow evening, send fish and crayfish. You explain slash excuse yourself that you are distributing food to the poor, but we placed you in your office to administer our estates, so that we might have everything that we need for our kitchen. May God keep you, from our creature, November 5th, 19, or 1519, 1589. Not exactly bone-chilling stuff, uh, but she does kind of seem like an asshole, right? I kept, uh, when I was uh, reading that letter for the first time, I kept picturing King Joffrey from Game of Thrones. Just a fucking petulant motherfucker who doesn't care about anybody else's needs. Um, to be fair to her, because her husband was off fighting so much at the time, uh, he, he would live to the age of 48, dying in battle in 1604, uh, having spent more of his life away fighting the Turks than he did at home by far. Uh, so she did have a lot of administrative duties. You know, she'd had to manage the villages and castles that existed on their land and all that, you know, all that fell on Elizabeth's shoulders. So she was, you know, she's fucking tense. She's stressed out. Uh, by 1598, busy as they are, Frank and Elizabeth do end up having five children, three girls and two boys. Anna in 1586, Osika sometime between 1587 and 1593, uh, Catalan in 1594, uh, Andras in 1596, and Paul in 1598. Uh, up until the early 1600s, uh, Elizabeth was said to be uh, a good wife, a great mother, and a competent estate administrator. Even when confronted by invading troops, bankruptcy, rumors of her peasant killings, uh, she was apparently very dedicated to the welfare of, est- of her estates and the people on her land, and meticulously dealt with her daily routines and responsibilities up until the day she was arrested. 1601 is when the murder rumors really begin. Peasant servant girls have been disappearing. Locals are claiming they've been tortured to death. Uh, also in 1601, Anna de Roya, a Croatian woman claimed by some to be a witch, uh, uh, hooks up with Elizabeth and, <laughs> and lives in the Bathory household. And people think that she's Elizabeth's lover. And, uh, and you know, is, and they're both accused of running a torture and execution mill uh, under the knowledge and protection of basically Ferenc, about, you know, her husband's kind of house. Uh, and the clergy becomes involved and they want to prosecute Darvoya. They're not going to prosecute Bathory because she's, you know, too high ranking. Uh, but Frank is able to quiet the charges against anyone. Well, then in 1604, Frank dies of an infected wound. 
So without his protection, the rumors and accusations about Elizabeth's torture of young girls intensifies. And by 1605, Elizabeth had surrounded herself uh, with an intimate cohort of servants that would allegedly act as her chief torturers and executioners. And these are the, all the people that end up going to trial uh, or die before trial. Anna Devoria, uh, who died in 1609 before, before the arrest of Elizabeth and the other accomplices. Uh, Yona Jonagi, an elderly widow and Elizabeth's uh, childhood nurse. An adolescent, uh, uh, possible boy, possibly uh, disfigured slash just, just, just disabled, Janos uh, Yovari, Erzi uh, uh, Majorva, some other elderly widow, and uh, uh, Dorocha Sentesh, a friend of Yona Zhao, uh, rumored to be, uh, sorry if I'm butchering these names, I feel like, you know, you would need to be a native Hungarian speaker to read these fucking nonsensical consonant fucking jams. <laughs> to be a witch. Uh, this person is rumored to be a witch and have instructed Elizabeth in the way of witchcraft and black magic. Uh, sounds like a real A-team. Sounds like she really put her best uh, people together. Yeah, oh, we're, never, we're not going to get caught. There's no way. How can we get caught? How can we get caught with this fucking A-team? With these all-stars. We got, we got a crippled boy. Uh, we got a lady who thinks she's a witch, so she's mentally stable. Uh, we got some other woman who's soon going to be die, so she's not very healthy in, in all likelihood. And we got two elderly widows. So, I mean, what, what could go wrong? Who could catch us? Uh, also in 1605, the Turks are still uh, roaming around. The fucking Turks, man. Constantly waiting in the wings just to fuck shit up. Uh, there's a minor rebellion against the king and the Holy Roman Empire. And uh, invading forces are laying waste to many of Elizabeth's estates. Kill and rob her people. She rallies an army of her own. Nearly goes bankrupt trying to defend her land this year uh, and repel the invaders. In the midst of the invasions and rumors, she makes uh, multiple trips to the king's court, demanding that the royal treasury repay an enormous debt that had been owed to her late husband for various spoils of war that were owed to him on behalf of all his military conquests throughout the years, which they had never paid him for, or didn't, you know, didn't pay him in full. Uh, they make up excuses about why they can't repay her at this time, blah, blah, blah. Historians note uh, that it seems like they just had no intention of ever repaying her once he died. Um, which is, you know, the sexist way that things uh, went down for female nobles at that time, uh, which would, would kind of add to the conspiracy about her arrest and prosecution that, you know, were these kind of charges of murder against her just trumped up so they could arrest her, take her stuff and not have to pay these debts. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. So she got a lot of stress in her life. You know, it's not all new castles and Michael McDonald receptions anymore. Over the next five years, Elizabeth seems to suffer some kind of mental breakdown, uh, lashing out with murderous rage when worried about money or opposed upon by obligations. Pressure from local pastors increases. A secret inquest into her activities is ordered by the king. 1609, longtime family friend uh, George Thurzo has risen to the rank, and this is her cousin as well, has risen to the rank of Palantine, prime minister, and becomes second in command to the king. Also in 1609, Elizabeth supposedly uh, opens up her home as a uh, genesium, or a, a, which is basically a type of female boarding school for the education of the daughters of local lesser nobles. And then those girls start disappearing. And this is where she really starts to get into trouble. Uh, when the noble girls start disappearing, uh, you know, people can actually talk to, 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 to the king and have his ear and a true investigation can be had. You know, it's hard, hard to ignore. No one cares about the peasants. Hard to ignore the disappearance of the noble girls. Uh, by March 1610, complaints and rumors of the torture and killings of the noble girls has reached Thurzo, has reached the king as well. At the same time, uh, Thurzo believes that Elizabeth's cousin, Gabor Bathory, or Bathory, is stirring up a revolt against the king that would threaten the interest of Hungarian landlords such as himself. And then Elizabeth makes a bad move and she makes it clear that she supports her cousin, this other cousin, uh, uh, as opposed to Thurzo and the king and the Hasbergs. 
you know, because these are the fuckers who are not repaying her family for debts owed to her late husband from his, you know, uh, war victories. And now Thurzo becomes convinced that the power of the Bathory family needs to be cut down a little bit. It's threatening him. Uh, and again, all very, all very Game of Thronesy. Uh, additionally, to the king's benefit, if Elizabeth is successfully prosecuted, like I said, her properties would be forfeited to the king, and the royal treasury's debt to her husband would would just be canceled. So they wouldn't have to ever worry about paying that money. Uh, by December 1610, the king directs Thurza to apprehend Elizabeth, and accompanied by uh, Imre uh, Majiri, Elizabeth's previous steward and guardian of her son, an armed escort, and her own two son-in-laws, Thurza goes to the castle, uh, Chaitay, uh, when they entered the manor, this is what Thurzo claimed he saw as documented in a le letter written by Thurzo himself, wrote to his wife the day after Bathory's arrest, a letter that has survived the test of time. Here's a little excerpt from it. It says, When my men entered Chaite Manor, they found a girl dead in the house. Another followed in death as a result of many wounds and agonies. In addition to this, there was also a wounded and tortured woman there. The other victims were kept hidden away where this damned woman prepared these future martyrs. And that, uh, that letter and many others can be found in Infamous Lady, the true story of Countess Elizabeth Bathory, again written by Kimberly Craft. So supposedly Thurzo and his men, as indicated in later court documents, encountered numerous bodies of dead and dying girls strewn about showing signs of torture in the form of beatings, floggings, burnings, and stabbings. Uh, Elizabeth was placed under house, maybe she didn't want to tell all that stuff to his wife. Elizabeth was placed under house arrest at Castle Chaite and her accomplices, her A-team, that fucking crack squad I talked about earlier, were arrested. 1611, three of her four accomplices are tried and executed. Their confessions, no doubt, elicited through the use of torture, as well as the confessions of witnesses. Mostly peasants would go on to make up the tales of horrible torture and blood bathing that has made Elizabeth infamous over the centuries. While the king pressed for Elizabeth's interrogation by torture and a speedy execution, the Bathory family pleaded with Thurzo to spare her of this public shame. Thurzo is able to convince the king not to put her on public trial. Instead, she's sentenced to life imprisonment, and her name is never to be spoken in polite society again. And then uh, on August 21st, 1614, after three years of living in captivity in her own castle, imprisoned in Castle Chaite, Elizabeth complains to her guard that she was experiencing poor circulation, stating that her hands are normally cold. The guard waves it off, tells her just to lie down. And then she's found dead the next morning. On November 25th, 1614, she's buried at the church in Chaite. Uh, supposedly, her remains are taken back to the Bathory family estate in 1617. But since her remains have seemed to have vanished uh, since then, it seems. Uh, in 1938, the crypt at Chaite was opened and her remains were not present. And then in 1995, uh, the Bathory family crypts at Nirbator were also opened and her remains were not there either. Her remains are gone, just like Vlad Dracula's. Maybe they're together. Maybe they never died. Maybe they're out doing vampire stuff. Hmm? All right, let's hop on out of this timeline. Look at the murders and motivations for accusations of murder a little more closely. Welcome back. We made it through. It's also unbelievable, but true. Till next time, suckers. Okay, so before we dig into grisly details of the alleged murders, first we have to look at the possibility that she didn't uh, commit all these murders or that she didn't commit more murders than the average member of Hungarian nobility at this time. Remember, due to that crazy kind of post-rebellion coerced contract signed before Elizabeth was even born, uh, peasants had no rights and for all intent and purposes were just owned by their lords and, you know, countesses and such. Uh, and, you know, they're owned in a time of constant brutal warfare. People are dying on Hungarian soil in the 16th century in brutal, horrific fashion every day. Turks are pouring in all the time. You know, there's peasant uprisings. There's a Protestant Reformation sweeping through Europe. Elizabeth herself was raised Calvinist. 
but she has Lutheran and Catholic relatives. There are still remnants uh, of the Greek Orthodox Church around her. There's, there's uh, you know, uh, Muslims around her. And so you know that there are people being burned and crucified for being heretics of one sort or another all the time. Uh, rape, beatings, torture, murder, commonplace. So Elizabeth Bathory being a murderer at this time doesn't make her unusual. It makes her normal. Uh, what wouldn't make her normal uh, for that time or any time is killing hundreds of young girls or the over 600 young girls the Guinness Book of World Records claims Elizabeth has killed. But did she really do it? Uh, you know, all the claims of her murders come from her trial, a trial orchestrated by men who had significant assets to gain, significant debts to erase by finding her guilty. The evidence and accounts of the alleged murders come solely from the testimony of witnesses and accomplices during the trials in 1611. The four arrested accomplices all agree that Anna Darvoya taught them how to torture and kill the girls and that the countess would often partake in the torture. So really, you know, uh, is this uh, also, is this Anna Darvoya? Is she, is she the the main murderer? That's another thing. However, all, all these confessions, you know, are given during extreme duress. You know, they confessed while being tortured. And also maybe were they pointing the finger at Anna Darvoya because they didn't want to get the countess in as much trouble. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, yet, while the defendant's confessions were uh, no doubt the product of coercion and torture, many of the crimes described were consistent throughout various independent confessions, uh, which is why I, I think you have to at least entertain the possibility that she really was a sadistic mass murderer. Even if the people, you know, uh, charged with these crimes do have motivation, you know, their own, you know, things to gain by ha having her be guilty, that also doesn't make her innocent. You know, both things could be true. You know, they could want her found guilty so they don't have to repay the debts, and she could really be guilty. So let's examine these supposed murders in a little more detail with some super scary stuff. Okay, so here's what Elizabeth Bathory supposedly did, why her name still gets tossed around today, why she, along with Vlad the Impaler, influenced the creation of Bram Stoker's Dracula over two centuries after her death. In the absence of Ferenc, during his war campaigns and after his death, Elizabeth is said to have traveled between their numerous estates in search of young women to torture for pleasure. With the help of her accomplices, peasant girls are either abducted or lured to the castle with promises of well-paying jobs. And again, since peasant families lacked virtually any rights or freedoms whatsoever, they had no real avenue for retribution against her when their daughters would disappear. Sometimes they would go to local clergymen, uh, but the reputation of her husband, uh, this war hero, Ferenc, uh, and the combined power of their families just kept these accusations quiet for a long, long time. Uh, most accounts put the number of murdered girls somewhere between 60 and 100, but one witness did claim to have seen a journal or, you know, diary kept by the Countess that totaled the number at closer to 650. But, but there is no evidence of, of the existence of this, you know, diary. It hasn't been found, this journal. Uh, the described crimes and methods of torture involved the following at uh, the trial. It was, there was talk of starving, whipping, beating, mutilating, burning, uh, freezing the girls to death, sticking pins under the girls' fingernails, cutting the fingers off uh, when the girls tried to remove those pins. If the Countess was ill and bedridden, uh, you know, if she wasn't up for her usual uh, torture rounds, the girls would be brought to her so she could just bite chunks off of their flesh from bed. Uh, the Countess punished girls suspected of stealing by pressing red-hot coins into their flesh. Uh, she would leave girls naked and smeared with honey and put them in the wilderness so they'd be eaten by insects or wild animals. She, uh, she sewed shut the mouth of one maidservant who would not keep quiet. Uh, confined, confined girls to small cages, hoisting them in the air, having spikes dudded into the cages. Then the cages swung back and forth to tear the women apart. One testifier claimed that, quote, they tied the hands and arms very tightly with Viennese, Viennese cords. Uh, they were beaten to death until the whole body was black as charcoal and their skin was rent and torn. One girl suffered more than 200 blows before dying. Uh, 
uh, Dorco, some other accomplice and procurer of uh, these, cut their fingers one by one with shears and then slit the veins with scissors. So fucking monstrous stuff. Uh, while Thurzo himself claimed that on the night uh, they arrested Elizabeth and her accomplices, they only found one body in the castle, you know, kind of like uh, alluded to in that in that letter, uh, that of a girl with burned hands and, and her breast bitten. Uh, he might have been downplaying it because, you know, you can choose to believe that he was framing her to further his own political ambition instead of, you know... Uh, but you can also, you know, choose to, to to believe that he might have actually downplayed it because she was related to him and he didn't want to damage her family, which would kind of be his family's name. Uh, a memoir written by one of Thurzo's lieutenants, who was also there when they arrested Elizabeth, told a, a more graphic story than Thurzo. He said that they came upon the dead bodies of young girls all over the place when they went in, many with no arms and no eyes. One blackened body was in a fireplace and dogs were running around with body parts in their mouths. So, you know, that's, an, that's another story. Uh, then there's the bloodbathing, all right? There's all these bloodbathing accusations. It's how she, uh, you know, became the, the blood countess, that she was bathing in virgin's blood. Well, the bloodbathing claim was uh, first mentioned in the uh, Jesuit scholar Laszlo uh, Tarotzi's Tragica Historia, the first written account of the Bathory case, uh, written about 70-some years after her death, and he wrote that she bathed in blood in order to retain youth and beauty. And then uh, this became a cornerstone cornerstone of the legend of the Countess and the basis for her vampiric mythology, the stories retold by other medieval authors and historians. He wrote that this practice began when she was splattered with blood while beating one of the girls, and after wiping the blood from her face, she noticed that the skin it had touched had become smoother and more youthful. However, blood bath, uh, bathing is never actually mentioned in the trial testimony. And modern historians, uh, Radu Floresco and Raymond T. McNally, uh, you may remember those guys, those uh, Boston University professors and historians from the Vlad episode, uh, they suggest that this part of the legend is rooted in prejudices about gender roles that were contemporary at the time of uh, Terzokzi's uh, writing. Basically, people had difficulty associating women with the masculine vices of sadism and bloodlust, so they attributed the crimes to vanity. You know, like she's doing it to fucking smooth her skin out. Instead of just, she wanted to fucking tear people apart. Additionally, these myths coincided with the early vampire tales of the early 18th century, and everyone just kind of played it up to, to sell some books. Uh, also, according to various uh, other articles I found on the web, she did a bunch of other heinous shit. A History.com article claimed she, uh, she forced one girl to cook and eat her own flesh. According to some strange British documentary I watched on Bathory, uh, she liked to mutilate the genitals of her victims, doing shit like setting their pubic hair on fire. Uh, once, allegedly, had a young woman's uh, uh, mouth sewn shut, which I mentioned, and... Uh, uh, and then the, the covering uh, victims in honey and release them into the woods. That was talked about again. Finally, according to an article on rejectedprincesses.com, which I know is not the most legit-sounding website, uh, but this is all speculation, so fuck it. Let's, let's go a little further. Uh, Elizabeth allegedly chained up her servants so tightly their hands would turn blue and they would spurt blood, uh, beat them to the point there was so much blood on the walls and beds that they had to use ashes and cinders, you know, to soak it all up, burned her servants with metal sticks, uh, irons, you know, on the soles of their feet, um, act, it, burning rods, took burning iron, burning iron rods and put them up into their vaginas. My God, uh, kept them from eating for like a week at a time. And if they got thirsty, would make them drink their own urine and, uh, force them again, like we mentioned before to cook their own flesh. But in this, in this article, uh, serve it to other guests or other people, excuse me, as sausages. <laughs> what the fuck? And lastly, uh, lastly, she is rumored to have cut the penises off of a few male servants turn the skin into a slingshot, like the shaft skin, and then force them to shoot their cut-off testicles, like would force the guy who just had his dick cut off, he, he would also then get his testicles cut off, and he would have two shots to slingshot his own balls into another servant's open mouth. And if he missed both shots, everyone got burned alive. <sighs> 
that one was especially disgusting because I made that one up. That last one I made up. But it was, you know what? It was getting so far-fetched and ridiculous, it just felt, it felt right. It felt right to join in on the gore over the top gore party. So, but, you know, and even if she only did 10% of all that nonsense, she still committed a ton of super scary stuff. All right, so why did she do it? You know, if she really was a sadistic murderer, you know, why? Why was she a sadistic murderer? Well, according to Kimberly Kraft, author of The Private Letters of Countess Elizabeth Bathory, she says, quote, it is often said that mental illness ran in her family, likely from inbreeding, but some of the alleged insanity, such as extreme temper tantrums and swordplay in the house, were typical arist- aristocratic eccentricities. Elizabeth suffered seizures and fits of rage as a child, and allegedly her father did as well. In letters, she describes both eye and head pain, likely from migraines and from epilepsy. Inbreeding, man, those damn royals constantly marrying each other. Uh, Elizabeth, if I didn't mention it, was a distant cousin of her own husband. Uh, she was rumored uh, to be promiscuous while her husband was away, having flings with both men and women, and it's thought that she may have also uh, uh, gotten syphilis, and she may have suffered from the late stages of syphilis, which can affect, you know, the brain and can affect, you know, your thoughts. And uh, uh, there was another angle uh, talked about in a horrible movie I watched called Bathory, Countess of Blood, a 2008 historical drama that was a co-production between the Slovakian, Czech Republic, Hungarian, and UK film industries. Uh, and it plays up the strange angle that someone was placing hallucinogenic mushrooms in her drinks, and that's what was making her mad. That movie's fucking so weird, by the way. Uh, it was the best movie on <laughs> Countess that I could find. There's, there's no good movies that have made about her yet, not where she's like the lead. This movie's two hours and 20 minutes long, and it's terrible. But I could not stop watching it because it's beautifully shot, and it's cool costumes. It's on Amazon Prime. It uh, doesn't seem to be very historically accurate at all. At one point, there's two monks taken off on ancient three-wheeled roller skates, so now I'm in a time suck looking up at when roller skates are made, and apparently they were not made at this point in history. So that was nonsense. Uh, the movie does, however, showcase a lot of Eastern European topless women in period piece costumes. So, you know, it has that going for it. And it also stars British actress uh, Anna Friel, who I'm a big fan of. She's the star of the BBC show. It's also on Netflix I really like called Marcella. And she gets, uh, she gets naked a lot in the movie, which is great. Uh, side note, on, on top of side note, I'm pretty sure uh, Anna's embarrassed by this movie. She, she had a great European, she's had a great you know, acting career, especially European acting career. She has a hefty Wikipedia page, and this movie is not mentioned once. A movie that had the biggest budget ever for a Hungarian production at the time it was made, which may not be saying much. I'm not a big Hungarian cinema junkie. But I, I am surprised Hollywood hasn't done a proper bathroom movie, though. All the elements are there for a blockbuster. Sexy lead female character, politically powerful, political intrigue, lots of murder. She's bisexual. She's promiscuous. There's elements of witchcraft, possible satanic stuff. Lots of room for, you know, medieval warfare, torture, vampiric accusations. You could do so much with that. Come on. Uh, There is a lot of interest in general about Bathory out there and a lot of different opinions about who she was and why she did what she did or why she didn't do what she supposedly did. And let's check in with some of the worst of those opinions on this week's Idiots of the Internet. Idiots of the Internet. Okay, so this first little exchange of the idiots of the internet I want to talk about is, is kind of also a, a reminder maybe to, to, to women that, that if you want a better chance to have your, your YouTube comments be taken seriously and not just be, uh, you know, attacked by, by trolls of the interweb, uh, you may not want, and again, do what you want to do, but you may not want to uh, use a profile picture that just showcases a, a ton of cleavage. And, and here's why. Uh, uh, this is an example. Uh, of why one of many examples you could find uh, user is so fluffy user is so fluffy one uh, comments three years ago about this uh, movie I was just talking about uh, 
Uh, this is under the YouTube trailer. She says, quote, she defiantly committed these horrible crimes, but a lot of this has been sensationalized. The king was also in debt with the Bathory family, and with the conviction on Elizabeth, he wouldn't have to pay back any of the money he owed. These are facts, but we will never know the whole story because all the evidence was burned after the trial to cover up what she was convicted of to protect her family name. You know, very intelligent comment. Uh, you know, she's done she's done a lot of a lot of research. Uh, sadly, it only gets one uh, reply. And it's not a good one. User Frank uh, Rivas three weeks ago comments, it's so fluffy one. I wish I could motorboat those big ass titties. A lot of exclamation points. I, <laughs> I get guys commenting like that just to be trolls, just to be dicks. But do any of the guys actually, you know, doing that actually think a comment like that may open up some kind of romantic dialogue that will lead to them getting lucky? Like, is, is there at least a small part of user Frank Rivas who's checking this thread from time to time, you know, hoping to see something like, Oh, Frank Rivas, I would love nothing more for, than for you to motorboat these big-ass titties. I've had them for years, and sadly, no one's ever wanted to motorboat them. I post pic after pic after pic of me showcasing my giant milky white titties on the web, hoping that someday someone will just be man enough to ask to finally motorboat them. I can only imagine the kind of orgasm that I would have from you wedging your dirty face in between my big titties and violently whipping your head Side to side. Oh, what pleasure that would give me. Please, private message me for some good old American titty motorboating, you romantic son of a bitch, you. These guys are idiots. Further down the thread, after much digging, I strike a mother load of idiot gold. You know, just keep on heading down the thread there, young fella. There's, there's gold down there, you hear? Uh, idiot gold. Big, great big nuggets of it. Uh, more idiot gold than you can carry back to your podcast. <laughs> yep. Uh, based on profile pics, uh, uh, actual adults got into a heated argument, like a very heated argument about whether uh, Elizabeth Bathory was in fact a vampire when she was alive or a werewolf, as if both of those things are possible, as if both of them are real. It's fucking amazing. Four years ago, user Danica the Wildcat Cronquist writes, in regards to the movie, somewhat portraying Bathory as having vampiric tendencies. Give me a break, people. Bathory was a female female werewolf, not a vampire. About 20 exclamation points. Well, user Poison 2 doesn't care for this. Strongly disagrees with Danica's assessment. Uh, <laughs> Danica has just pissed on his Bathory parade, and he's not going to fucking stand for it. And he comments uh, succinctly and aggressively, She was a vampire, you ignorant cunt. Wow. Just a tad aggressive. Opening with a C-bomb. Throwing a C-bomb in there because Danica thinks Bathory was a werewolf. You know this Poison 2 dresses all in black, spends an inordinate amount of time playing Magic the Gathering, you know, for a man in his 30s or 40s, has never had a romantic relationship that didn't involve financial transactions. Uh, that's my gut read on him. Not that Danica is any less of a wackadoodle than he is. She comes back with, I don't fucking care if you hate me about my comment. So many exclamation points. Then she goes all caps so people will know she's serious. Bathory is a werewolf, not a vampire. Then she goes back down to, you know, to non-caps. I knew that from Hungarian historical video I watched here on YouTube. So many exclamation points. Yeah, Poison 2, you fucking douche. She watched a historical video on YouTube about Bathory being a werewolf, not a vampire. So she was definitely a werewolf because that's how the YouTube works. She watched a historical video made by creators who apparently are also time travelers who went back and took some werewolf hair samples off of her pillow, had it tested in a government cryptozoology identification lab, and the results came back on the screen just, like, 
cap letters, werewolf, and then like a big check mark. So fucking deal with it. All right, Poison 2? Well, Poison 2, he doesn't deal with it. He just leaves. Doesn't bother to reply. He probably spilled some apple juice on his new magic booster pack, and then he had to like, you know, go carefully blow dry his cards for the next couple hours. Then he probably got caught up trying to finish jerking off before his mom got back from work, and he forgot about the whole argument. But Danica didn't forget. She leaves another comment. Wow, cunts like you never insult me. So good night, moron. Clearly, the first C-bomb rattled her, and she didn't feel like she could, you know, go back to practicing her Wiccan spells or, or polishing her spirit crystals or whatever the fuck she was doing until she threw another C-bomb back. And then she's out of the thread. She's left just in time to not be riled up by user Stephen Troy, who comments, Come on, she's just a murderer. How can she be a werewolf? That wasn't even mentioned in Hungarian history. Vampire? Sure, maybe. But werewolf? Where the hell did you get that, you piece of shit? These are real people. These are real people. These are real grown-ups who have gone to some strange place in their head where they actually believe in real vampires and real werewolves and then lose their fucking minds when another grown-up who also believes in vampires and werewolves disagrees with them on whether or not a random historical figure is a vampire or is a werewolf. Who the fuck are these people? Like, I, I, I had the weirdest fantasies when I come across these things. Like, I imagine myself owning a coffee shop, and then these two customers get into a heated argument about whether or not Elizabeth Bathory is a vampire or werewolf, and I immediately throw both of them out. Just get, get the fuck out of here. Go on, both of you. Vampires and werewolves. Stop watching old Buffy the Vampire Slayer rerun, you dipshits. This wasn't a documentary, you fucking idiots. I don't know. Speaking of werewolves, we need to do a time suck on those, right? That'd be fun. You know, we should do a time suck on werewolves if only just to have a good excuse to come across some more uh, fantastic examples of these idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. internet. So there you go. The Blood Countess, deranged sadist, brutal but normal for the times, aristocrat who was railroaded by the crown to have her land taken from her and to forego paying debts owed to her late husband, mentally ill nobility. Some combination of the three or something else entirely. We'll never know unless perhaps the diary she was rumored to have kept, one with the names of the 650-ish victims, turns up. You know, this diary was referenced in her trial again, you know, but many historians doubt it ever existed. Or if it did exist, that it will ever be found. Me? I I think she really may have done a lot of the outlandish deeds she's been accused of. Only because shit like that happened a lot in medieval 14th, 15th, 16th century Europe, especially where the Turks and Europeans clashed. It's a brutal, brutal time. Peasants weren't looked at by many of the nobility as even like real people. They were just possessions, possessions that could be torn up and tossed away. People were real worried about the devil back then. Heretics were tortured and or killed all the time. Opposing forces were raiding villages and paling people, burning villages to the ground, beheading men, raping and killing women. On top of all that, after doing, you know, most of his damage in the 14th century, every few generations, the plague would pop back up and kill a bunch of, bunch of people. So, you know, death was all around. And uh, torture all around, just misery all around. So even if the stories about Elizabeth aren't true, what's scary to me is that they could easily be true. Some powerful aristocrat in that chaotic political period of time could have tortured and killed hundreds of peasant girls and totally gotten away with it. Man, just like last week's North Korea episode made me happy to be living where I am, uh, this episode has made me happy to be living living when I am. Ah, All right, let's take one more look back at the Blood Countess with some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. 
Number one, living in Hungary during the 16th century may have actually been worse than living in Wallachia during the 15th century, which I didn't think was possible after the Vlad episode. People are still constantly being killed and peasants have even less rights than before. Remind me to never visit medieval Eastern Europe when I finally complete my time machine. Number two, Elizabeth Bathory may have bathed in her victim's blood and her husband may have kicked around enemy soldiers' heads like a soccer ball. Just the fact that these things may have happened is terrifying. Number three, Elizabeth Bathory got a castle as a wedding gift from her husband. You know you're filthy rich when you're able to give an actual castle to anyone for any reason. Number four, Elizabeth's husband supposedly also gave her a gift from the battlefield, a claw-like contraption that could be placed over the hand to tear, stab, and cut victims, and also allegedly may have showed her how to torture servants. And they remained married for decades until his death, proving that old saying correct, the couple who tortures the shit out of peasants together stays together. And number five, some new info, you can visit the castle that the blood countess lived in, supposedly tortured peasants in, and died in, the castle of uh, uh, Shatisha, Shatisa uh, lies in present-day Slovakia, above the village of Shatisa, near Trenčín in western Slovakia. The closest international airport is uh, Bratislava, and there are over 15 other castles you can explore in Slovakia alone. And you can go over there, and you can figure out how these motherfuckers say any of their words. And it looks like, not only can you, sorry about that, goddamn Penny will not fucking leave me alone. This time sucked. Jesus Christ, she's all over me. Uh, my dog's been going crazy this whole time. And it looks like not only can you visit the ruins of Elizabeth's castle, uh, you can really walk around and explore it, you know, do it at midnight if you're feeling, uh, you know, like being spooky. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Well, thanks for listening to another suck. Uh, I don't think it actually bothers you, but sorry if it did bother you about Penny, you know. Uh, hopefully, you know, we keep growing this thing and eventually I'll be in a place where I can, uh, you know, uh, have a little more privacy for my dog, but I've been busy working on all the research. I've been ignoring her. Uh, I've been feeling guilty. So I let her hang around this recording and she wasn't, she wasn't too bad. She attacked me a few times with her fucking jingle jangle toys. Uh, it was great seeing some of you suckers this past weekend in Atlanta. Uh, thanks for rocking those t-shirts, the shows, and, uh, and I hope to see more of you suckers at the Tampa Improv this week. Let's do it, Ebor. August 3rd through 6th, I'm also going to be at the Syracuse Funny Bone. August 17th through 20, the Irvine Improv. August 24 through 27, and the Omaha, Nebraska Funny Bone. August 31st through September 3rd. Please follow the suck on social media, at uh, Time Suck Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, slash Time Suck Podcast on Facebook. And big announcement, big announcement. Uh, Time Suck has been invited. I'm very excited to the LA Podcast Festival. I got a random invite for the podcast festival. It's this October, and I'm going to be recording my first ever live Time Suck show. Uh, I hope you're as excited as I am. And, and if you want to see me ever do any more live Time Suck shows, you need to help me make this first show a success. It's going to be the Hollywood Improv in the Lab, which is their smaller uh, stage, Thursday, October 5th. The show is going to start at 7.30 p.m. Doors open at 7 p.m. Tickets are only 15 bucks. I'm going to be there with Time Suck merch. I'm going to be there recording an episode live in front of hopefully you guys for the first time, and I'm terrified. Please help me make a success so I can do it some more. You know, it's, it's only 60 seats. It's an intimate 60-seat venue, not a bad seat in the house. And uh, and if I can't get 60 L.A. area time suckers to show up for a live show, probably going to be a long time, uh, if ever, for me to try to do a live time suck again. So tell your friends to come out even if you don't live there. Tickets are on sale now, hoping they sell fast. The ticket link is uh, in the episode description on your podcast player. You can just look at it right now, or you can go to timesuckpodcast.com and check that out. Next week on The Suck is Grigory Rasputin, the mad Russian mystic. Did Rasputin hypnotize the ruling Romanovs uh, with his mesmerizing eyes or somehow put them under his spell to take control of their empire? Did he use his rumored crazy sexual powers to seduce his way to the top? 
somehow peer into the future to tell his dark prophecies. You can actually still see his now pickled 13-inch flaccid penis on display in St. Petersburg at the Russian Museum of Erotica. Isn't that crazy? Or is that penis a hoax? Uh, The real one uh, was rumored to have been severed from his body uh, after he was poisoned, shot, left for dead, shot again, tied up, drowned. Dude was infamously hard to kill. And was he a charlatan or was he an actual mystic? He was definitely a Russian peasant who became a close confidant to the Tsar of Russia, a nearly impossible feat he actually accomplished. We dig into the life of one of history's most mysterious men next week on Time Suck. And until next week, don't bathe in anyone's blood. You know, don't get into any online ridiculous werewolf vampire arguments. And you know what? Keep on sucking. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.